Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Parker Brown, and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a group of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love that CMYK is up to and want to be a part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we're able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. Tonight, we're here to talk about this concept and this topic of being the embodiment of love. To be loved. To be someone that is extending love and to be someone that is receiving love. It's what we call the work of CMYK. It's why we exist in our city. It's why we exist in this community. It's why we gather on a Sunday evening because this question is what matters most for many of us. How do we tangibly go about this idea of being the embodiment of love? And we started this series a couple of weeks ago, and you know, when we started it, I'll say the same thing I, I said then. This is not a topic or this is not an idea that anybody needs to be convinced is a good thing. There, there, there needs to be no motivational speech this evening of saying, you really need to be the embodiment of love. This is something that most of us find just intuitively as part of being a human being, having empathy towards others around us, wanting to be someone of impact, live a life of meaning and purpose. And many times this word love is attached to those things. The question is, how do we practically go about this? How do we do it in such a way that actually has impact and is actually sustainable because for many of us we've experienced this idea of working to be the embodiment of love, working to love others in the world around us, but yet we find ourselves burned out, tired, exhausted, and at the same time we feel like we're not really making much impact. We see the, the work that needs to be done to actually you know, change things in a way that might be good and we feel like I can't bring that much energy. I'm bringing all I got and it doesn't seem like anything is actually happening as I'm doing that. So how do we go about this? And so two weeks ago, we started this series with this simple statement and idea that really is over the entire series, and it's this, to be loved is to be healthy. It's important to note, I believe, that a healthy life, a holistic life, healthy spirituality is one that understands, yes, there is this invitation to be the embodiment of love, but at the center of that must be health. In other words, that we are not finding our life in an unhealthy state trying to be the embodiment of love. And so these weeks that we're talking about it, this is what we need to remember. How do we go about this in a healthy way? And then last week, Seth kind of continued on with this concept and idea and talking about this role of presence, just physically being in the room, physically being with somebody, not necessarily doing anything special, but just being our presence alone or someone else's presence in our life alone, that to understand the work that that brings in being the embodiment of love. But there's been something really interesting that's happened in our culture the last few years, and I'm sure you've probably recognized it and seen it. When we think about love, when we think about what it means to do this, we live in a culture that, how I would term it, is, is driven by this dropping bombs approach to love. 
In other words, when it comes to war, if you want to have the most impact, if you want to see something and decimate an area, you would fly a plane over and drop a bomb. And a bomb is meant, you know, the more powerful the bomb, the more significant the damage, the more significant the impact of what's happening around. It's one thing that you drop and it has the potential to change everything for what that bomb hits. I think love for many of us, if we're honest, when we think about what this means, this is the way we want to go about being the embodiment of love. We want to show up, we want to do something, and we want that thing that we do to impact everything, to have ripple effects, to change someone's life, to change a city, to change a community, to change our family or the relationship. We want to be able to fly over, do something, say the right thing, show up in the right way, give in the right way, and because of our activity, because of what we choose to do, boom, everything is now different. Matt Blakesley was here, ladies and gentlemen. And for many of us, this is what we anticipate or what we think love looks like. We grew up in a culture that was, had these things attached to it. Like Back in the 80s, this thing known as Live Aid. It was a concert that was going to raise hundreds of millions of dollars to address poverty in Africa. Many of us have heard of the concerts, maybe not so much of the cause. But that was the reason that this concert existed. Because they were going to fix or move the ball forward when it came to Africa and the poverty there. And so for many of us, we look at things like that. We see these benefit concerts. We see these big fundraisers, these giant organizations moving, changing, shifting things. And we think, this is what love looks like, to show up and do something. There was a concert series a few years ago, Make Poverty History. And the whole point of this concert series was, you guessed it, to make poverty history. And there was some motivation and some excitement and energy around the idea of, oh, this is what we can do. This is what I can be a part of. And that nobody would be poor to the level that they are today because of everything and being different. But there's a, there's a real issue that I take with this idea of love. As genuine as a heartbeat might be to change things in the midst of this, the reality is many of us look at these kinds of events and we think, well... I can't bring that level of impact to my city, to my community. And even because of this picture of what love looks like, we think I can't even bring that level of impact to my family. I can't change things. I can't sit down and have the conversation that's going to make everything better. We look at this topic and this issue of homelessness in our city, which is something that the core community here at CMYK kind of identified as, okay, how do, how do we kind of start addressing this? And for many of us, you woke up today and nobody needs to be convinced about this idea of, hey, homelessness is something that we should address. We should put our time and energy into to try and helping that. Yes, but none of us woke up today tangibly thinking about how I'm going to live and impact that. I would, I would assume none of us. Maybe you did. You're better than me if you did. And the reason is because what we find is I can't drop the bomb and change anything. I can't throw a concert series together. So I'll just kind of hang out, sit back, and hopefully someone else steps forward and does this. There's a really interesting uh, interaction text of scripture that I find in the New Testament that has, honestly, over the years, really informed and developed how I approach this idea of what it means to be the embodiment of love. And it's a text found in the New Testament's book of Colossians. It's a letter written to a church in the city of Colossae. Many people would point at Paul as the author of this letter. 
And one of the things you need to know about the way that Paul writes, if you spend any time in the New Testament, is he talks about this concept of how you and I view ourselves. And he uses this language or this word to picture, if you will. He talks about there is your old self and there is your new self. And what Paul means when he talks about this in his writing is this idea that there was the way that you used to live. And it was typically destructive. It was painful. It was hard. It wasn't good for you. It wasn't good for the people around you. And that there was potentially this moment where you choose or where you find yourself on a different path. You were on a path. You were living a certain way. You began to realize this is destructive. This is not healthy. This is not good. And you find this other path. And this is what he would call the new self. This invitation into a more beautiful way forward. And that you find your life living out of this new self, this new way to see the world, this new way to see the relationships and interactions around you. It's language that Paul uses over and over again in his letters. But here in Colossians, there's this really interesting interaction and picture that he brings to what this old self and new self looks like. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, Paul is pointing to this new self and saying what Christianity would speak to, there is this image, this work of Christ present there. This is the choice to move towards that. But then he says something really interesting. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So obviously what Paul is talking about is this invitation to see this new self where love binds all. Love binds everything. Again, none of us need to be motivated around this idea or concept, independent of belief or unbelief or wherever you might be on that chart or spectrum. But what I find so fascinating and significant about what Paul is saying here about what this love looks like is how he leads into it. He says the invitation is to put on the new self. Why is this so fascinating? Because at the core of what Paul is talking about when it comes to old self, new self, old path, new path, is this idea of choice. That you, in what Paul is communicating, you and I have a choice to put on this more beautiful way forward, to put on this love. And the reason I find that fascinating is many of us potentially grew up with a spirituality or a belief system, theology, that revolved around, okay, old self, new self. But to, to see new self, to see this thing that, you know, we're no longer finding our lives on this destructive path, it's something that we're waiting for to happen, to happen to us. So we pray prayers, we sing songs, we just hope and we hope and we hope for God to move, the Spirit to change us, whatever language you would bring to that. But at the core of what Paul is talking about, it has nothing to do with working hard to try and see something happen to you. It's choosing right where you are in this moment. It's believing that you have the power, the significance, the ability 
to make this choice for yourself that you can put on. It's choice. And then he goes on to say what this choice looks like, to put on this love that binds everything. And there's so many things within that list that none of us would you know, challenge or have a problem with. Of course, these things look like love. They're compassionate hearts. There's kindness. There's humility. There's meekness. There's patience. These things make sense if we want to be the embodiment of love, right? But there's this word that Paul, or this phrase that Paul brings into this midst of love that really is the thing that started to tweak and change everything for me. After this list, he says, and bear with one another. That all of these things within this list are dealing with some sort of exertion of energy. Yes, you're bringing energy, you're bringing kind, you're bringing meekness, you're bringing humility. Yes, do these things. But then he adds to this list this idea of and bearing with one another. The reason I find that fascinating is at the core of how Paul is talking about love and how Paul, at the core of how Paul is talking about this new self is this element of time. That it's not a bomb dropping. It's not showing up to something or showing up to a relationship or showing up to a room and boom, Matt Blakesley was here. Check this out. Check out how loving I am, everybody. And everybody's talking about how awesome that is, like we probably want. But Paul is bringing this element of love that there's time. There's an invitation to be there and to continue to be there and to continue to work and to continue to chip away. And it's this element is how Paul talks about love. In other words, for me, when we think about love, there's a way that I've chosen to kind of find it and approach it to my life. That love, and math nerds will love this, uh, love at the end of the day is this idea of choice over Time and energy. I can spell energy. 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 Nailed it. That love is choice over time and energy. This is what love looks like within Paul and his theology and the way he thinks about this. And here's why this is so fascinating and important for me. We live as human beings loving choice. If we can go to a restaurant and there's only one thing to eat, there's a part of us that goes, oh, man. But there's a part of us that loves being able to go to a restaurant, even as kids, and we get to choose whatever we want. I can have mac and cheese or pizza, as my five-year-old would say, because there's choice. We love choice. Many of us grew up in a home that, you know, we had three or four local stations, channels that came in through the antenna, and that was it. And we didn't even get to choose what was on when it was on. I mean, it feels like the dark ages. Just hang with me. But we lived in this state, and we would go over to friends' houses, or we'd go over to our grandparents' house, and they had cable. And all of a sudden, it felt like, I want to go there. I want to be there because they have choice. I have choice for what I'm going to watch when I want to watch. And we've extended that because of our desire for choice, that now we have all of these streaming services, that we have thousands and thousands and thousands of things that we can watch at any time. And many of us know the struggle is real when we sit with Netflix and all we do is scroll looking for something. We don't actually watch anything. We're just looking for something. But there's this part of us that loves it because we have choice. Many of us this last week, Disney Plus launched. And there's this part of us that goes, I can watch any Marvel movie, any Disney princess, and whenever I want, they're not going in the vault anymore. Wow. We love, love choice. 
And because of that love, what we end up finding in ourselves is the desire for more and feeling like we're not to the level that we want it to be. So we love choice, and you look in your closet, and there's this part of you that goes, I wish I had different clothes. I wish I had more clothes. We look at where we live, and we think, I wish I lived somewhere else. And we begin to feel this desire for choice as something that we actually don't have much of in our lives. I wish that I could get that. I wish I could go there. I wish I could buy that. And there's this part of us that looks at our lives, looks at our bank accounts, whatever it is, and goes, yeah, not me. I wish I could have that relationship. Nah, not me. We love choice, and many of us begin to look at the choices that we want to make in our lives and feel like we don't have any power over them because we don't have enough stuff, money, resources. And here's why this passage of Scripture is so important to me. Because at the core of what Paul is talking about, he's saying, okay, you might not have choice over where you live all the time, your job all the time, how much you make, but you do have choice over this. You do have choice over how you choose to spend your time and your energy. No matter what, you have choice over your time and your energy. Many of you made the choice to be here tonight. There's a time in our lives when we don't have choice. That's called being a child. But then there's this moment where we become an adult. An adult is someone, you are someone, that has choice over how you spend your time and your energy. But again, many of us know, we, we can hear that, and there's this part of us that, you know, theoretically will think about it and go like, yeah, yeah, I got choice over my time and energy. I'm an adult, uh-huh. But then we begin to look at how we actually live our lives, and we begin to feel very crippled very quickly. And we, <laughs> some of you, I want to raise my hand and say, no, I really don't have choice. I don't have choice how I spend my time and energy. And the reason for many of us is because, potentially, we want to be the embodiment of love. And so when someone asks us for something, we get that text, we get that call, we get that email. There's this response that we have, that love is saying yes. Love is always responding and, and, and giving them what they want. This is what love looks like for many of us. And at the end of the day, what we find ourselves doing is this thing that Paul is being really clear about. I believe, saying put on. You have choice in how you're spending your time and energy. You have choice of what this bearing with each other looks like. And many of us feel crippled. We feel like our hands are cuffed because we just spend our entire day after day after day responding to everybody and what they're asking and what they need. Paul, earlier in one of his letters... He's having this conversation with a church in Corinth. And this church is dealing with this, this issue where there's people that come from a deeply religious tradition. And this church also has a group of people that do not come from this deeply religious tradition at all. 
And the religious people, just surprise, surprise, are trying to get the non-religious people to conform and trying to get them to say, hey, you need to live like us. You need to look like us. You need to act like us. If you're serious about this invitation of Christ, this new self, if you're serious about following Jesus, as they would say, then you need to go after this. You need to look like this. And Paul steps in in 1 Corinthians and begins to have this conversation that is incredibly fascinating. Because he's taking this deeply religious tradition and he's saying, hey, if you grew up in that and that's who you are and that's what you feel called to, go for it. But if you didn't grow up in it and you don't feel called to it, you go for that. That's great. Because guess what? Paul is having this conversation and saying there's something deeper about who you are than some religious tradition. And then he throws this this huge statement into things in the midst of this. He says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Paul is talking about this invitation of Christ as something that says, this is bigger, this is deeper, there's something more here than you just being someone that always responds to what other people want of you and how you choose to live your life. There's something more than that. And he uses this incredibly strong image of saying, do not become slaves of men. I am somebody that wants to find my life being the embodiment of love and how I'm choosing to live and interact with the people around me. But I am somebody that when I read that statement, I sense the regularity that I find myself being a slave of men. Because what I believe about myself and what I I really believe about everyone here tonight is there is something sacred, something deep, something beautiful and true about who you are. And if you would allow it, I would say that there is a call on your life. A call to live this way and this invitation of love. And it binds all things together and it matters. It matters. And many of us know what that feels like. And whether that call is maybe to to go and create, to see something different in the world, to bring justice where there is injustice, there's something deep in you that resonates. This is good, true, and beautiful. Whether that call is a relationship that you look at and you recognize and you see this matters and this is significant. I know what it's like to wake up and feel and sense that this matters. And then spend the entirety of my day not centered on, not focused on any of those things, but simply responding to all of the notifications and things that keep coming up. And I read this statement and I read this phrase and I just have to put my hand up and say like, yeah. I've just become a slave to men. And Paul would say, there's something deeper about who you are. Find your life centered there. You and I have choice over our time. And I believe that to be the embodiment of love in a healthy way is to understand that choice. And choosing to say no to things that do not reflect, that are not a part of this call. And it's difficult and it's challenging because in a connected world, we think we need to be accessible to everyone all the time. 
But Paul says that there would be certain relationships, certain callings, certain things that you would step into, and there would be this bearing with this time element where you are there and you consistently are there. I remember when I was in high school, <clears throat> there was an older gentleman that invited me and a couple of my friends to come have uh, breakfast with him in his house every Wednesday morning. And it was kind of this mentor group that we were sitting with this guy. And he was, in, you know, at the time in my life, incredibly successful on a lot of different levels. And he would always sit down and he'd always have something prepared to, to talk about. Many times it revolved around some sort of document that he typed up or a spreadsheet. And this Wednesday was a spreadsheet Wednesday, which, you know, as a high school student, I'm just there for the donuts, dude. But okay, cool. This is fine. But I'll never forget this conversation. He sat down this spreadsheet and he started to go through this idea that if we, as 18-year-olds, began to put $100 away a month into different kinds of savings account, and he had it all broken down, what kinds of savings accounts and how you can invest and all of these things, he mapped out this scenario for how me, Matt Blakesley, at age 40 could be a millionaire. He said, all you got to do, $100 a month, boom, 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 40, you're going to be a millionaire. Well, two things happened in that moment. One I had, to, I had to just look at him and say, like, dude, I'm never going to be a millionaire. Like, who do you think? I, I just really like maple bars. Like, what, what do you think is happening here? Because I'm, I, I don't see myself, and I'm, still, I'm not a millionaire. But the second thing is that I looked at what I had, and I realized, okay, I, I could probably make that work, but I just really like Softies ice cream. And that's, that's a lot of no's that I have to say to myself. And as like most high school students would probably do in that moment, yeah, it makes sense in theory, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to put $100 away a month, and I haven't. Uh, so don't worry, I'm not on any clear path towards a million dollars at all. But here's why that stuck with me. What he was talking about in that moment was this idea of compounding return. That you begin to invest in something, and over time, that investment continues to grow and grow and grow and be more and more impactful. When it comes to being the embodiment of love and seeing choice over time and energy, I believe this is exactly what the invitation is. To see your life as something that you, you have choice over your time and energy, and you're cho- you are choosing right now to spend your time and energy on different things, good, bad, indifferent, you're choosing, you're making those choices now. And to be the embodiment of love is to find yourself making A choice. And unlike me, when I'm a high school student, I look at this idea of being a millionaire, and I think that's not me, so I just remove myself from the conversation. What following Christ, what this stuff is about for me, is this idea that, no, I do, I am not going to remove myself from that conversation. I am invited to be somebody that is called, that is significant, that is a part of bringing beauty, life, truth into this world. I'm to, be, I'm to play a part. And we're dropping bombs as something that I can easily just step back and go, I'm not going to have the impact that I want to have. This is an invitation to say, okay, well, how are you using your time? And what small things can I begin to do now in relationship, in our city, in our families, wherever it is, what can I do? And this belief that we bear with one another, and over time it begins to find compound returns. I think many of us have already experienced this. I look at the times in my life where I've sat down with somebody that's, you know, incredibly deep, intellectual, thoughtful. They're famous on some levels. 
And I sit down and I have a conversation with them. And they're so eloquent. They've got it all figured out. Some of these guys written books. Like it's just, it's just a significant, like, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. But if I'm honest, nothing really changed in my life. Nothing really moved. It was, a, it was just a bomb that just dropped and it was in this moment. But the numbers of conversations I've had, even with some of you in this room, where there is this time element and this energy element, what you spoke was not eloquent, was not well thought out, wasn't perfect on any level. But because of this compounding return, because of time and energy, there is this thing. And the choice that you've made to be a part of my life, some of you in this room have said, just side comments that have shifted things for me in big ways. You look at your own life. Are there the bombs that are actually moving your life forward? When you think about this idea of love and being the embodiment of love, are there these giant moments that you think of? Typically not. It's a relationship that deals around choice over time and energy. That you look at those people, you see those names, and you realize, yeah, That's what this looks like. And this for me is where to be loved is to be healthy. Because it is not healthy to believe that you do not have control over your time. It is not healthy to become a slave to men or women. It is not healthy. But it is healthy, I believe, to find and sense this call and this invitation and to make a choice of how you're choosing to spend your time and energy. Tonight, as we come to this table, there's some questions we'll put up on there. Invite you to think through and process because you have choice. And I hope that you sense and see this invitation to this table from day one was an invitation for everyone to come and partake, for everyone to come and be a part of this, that you and I eat of the same bread, drink of the same cup. In other words, we don't remove ourselves from the conversation of what it looks like to be the embodiment of love. But we come, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the cup, and we say, yeah, this is, this is what I'm a part of. And it's simply a reminder of this call, whatever it is for you, a relationship, a work, creativity, whatever it is. And so tonight, we'll just take a minute, invite you to process, think, write out a question, comment, whatever it is. And then whenever you're ready, we'll play a song, invite you to come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and leave your card, if you will. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while you're there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.